This is your Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes jam-packed with news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice every weekday. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Today's top, top story, a new virus, SARS-CoV-2. Did you hear about this, Binkley? Another new virus? Another one. There was novel coronavirus, then COVID-19. It's as if the whole entire world is getting blanketed by these super scary viruses. You know what it is? What? Valentine's Day. Oh, so we're all getting sick from each other, all that? I think so. Everybody's passing their coronavirus. Yeah. Well, I think you know the punchline to this part of the story. You told us yesterday that that novel coronavirus, the name was changed to COVID-19, probably to distance between the live simulation conducted by the World Economic Forum, the Gates Foundation, and Johns Hopkins of a novel coronavirus launched in October, (laughs) bears all the hallmarks of what supposedly went real live, like a drill gone live actually kills people, in November... And people were, I think, waking up to that. So you Google novel coronavirus and you might come up with the simulation. Yeah. So yesterday you brought to us that it changed to COVID-19. And I've noticed all over the Wall Street Journal today, it says now called COVID-19. Very adamant about that. Yes. But I stumbled upon a UK article that was interesting for two reasons. One was it said this virus is now called SARS-CoV-2. So in the UK, it has a different one. It reminds me of ISIL, ISIS, Islamic State, IS, just to confuse you, or that Kate Steinle killer whose Wait, name I no longer This is the same remember. disease? Yes, correct. But in the UK, they're calling it something yes, different? Yes, correct. Is there any explanation as to why? No, no more than the COVID-19. And it doesn't say COVID-19. It just says SARS-CoV-2. That's unbelievable. And it says it is now being called like identical word for word, exact same. Yeah. And this, but this article I was reading was interesting for another reason. It was a UK flight or a flight from San Francisco to the UK. Somebody on board was suspected of having the virus, was brought to the back of the plane by staff that was not using masks. Thrown well, out. Say that. Oh, wow. No, no. Brought <laughs> to the back of the plane. So it said that. And then it said, and passengers were released about 30 minutes later. Yeah. So this makes me think Dean is right on there's going to be a surge because of all these stupid, inconsistent approaches to quarantining, the mistaking, the mistakes they're making, all of that. Yeah, I saw something related to your question about that yesterday. I've started following some of the people stuck on the Diamond Princess. I've started following their Twitter feeds, and I tried to find my way into one of their Facebook groups, but it's – private it's only for the people who are stranded on the ship <laughs> but some of them are doing live streams and some of them are tweeting oh my the gosh. incident and one of them imagine. tweeted you saw a live stream yeah i watched part of the live stream is an old couple the people being tested by the way the first ones being tested because they've only tested 700 as of yesterday of the either 2700 or 3700 depending on who you ask but they're testing <laughs> the people that are over 75 because there's a cruise ship of old people Going, you mm-hmm. know, traveling around the world, which and is here's, yeah. people highly affected are going to be more are going to be old people that are more likely. But one of the articles that somebody linked under one of the tweets from a passenger was an NPR article saying that every time a new case is found, every time someone is, is positive test is found, then the 14 days has to start over. Oh, yeah. We were asking However, about that. 
the people on board refuted that, and then a Japanese news service, which uh, you can translate the article, refuted the NPR thing. So the NPR article, which I haven't seen a, seen them refute it, was, according to the people on board, incorrect because they're going to be leaving, I believe, in the next couple of days. I read an article today. So they're not going to be, even if someone's found, they're not resetting the timeline, at least on but that there, ship. Is there anyone on that ship that you noticed that has it? Did you... I mean, are these are all these ships have like somebody on it with it? This ship has the largest concentration of people that have been affected outside of China. Okay, so the, there are people on that ship who have the disease. Yeah, well, they test as far been, as you know. They've tested seven hundred people, and like two hundred and fifty yes. have okay. been found to have it. And wow. as they are found to have it, they are taken, they are escorted, I guess, in some sort of quarantine unit to somewhere to be quarantined and treated off of the ship while the people on board wait for their test. But that makes no sense. Right. Unless the air conditioning is not circulating, it makes no sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. If they're in an open-air, solitary confinement situation, mm-hmm. you know, that may make sense. Well, I found some information on some very interesting stuff. First of all, one of the reasons they're saying... I, I have never read a more cons- confusing and self-contradictory article in my life in the Wall Street Journal than today, where the name of the article was Jump in Virus Cases Fuels New Worries, Change in Counting Leads to Sharp Rise, Some Question When the Outbreak Will Peak. And one of the things that they said, two of the things they said about the change in the method. So they used to test you to see if they could find the virus. And if you were found with the virus, they would say you had the virus. Now they're saying, we're not going to actually test you for the virus. We're just going, you told us this yesterday. You're just going to see if the person has symptoms that we attribute to this virus and call it the virus. Now, well, the symptoms are all like common cold or flu symptoms. So if you're not actually identifying this particular virus, that's not a very helpful way of counting. They're not going back and recounting. So part of the surge is not only that they've really brought into the net, but that a bunch of people who they had said didn't have it, they're just going to count going forward, not going back. Yeah, who've been released out into the public. Yeah, but they may or may not have it, and they were identified as potential sufferers. You know, so the spike is really, truly meaningless. They said another thing that was buried at the very end of the article is that the tests were found to be unreliable. I saw which that. Which is why they stopped using the, it. Is that why they stopped using it? Maybe this is a different story. I saw a story about the CDC saying that they had a test that was faulty, but then further down in the article, I don't know why they didn't lead with this, they say that they haven't actually used that test to test any of the potential victims yet. This one says, questions around the reliability of the test, however, pushed authorities to broaden their criteria to include clinical Ah. diagnoses in which doctors can confirm a case based on symptoms. Okay, I see. So that's coming out of China. Now, the the end says the policy shift... They're using looser diagnostic standards, picking patients with fever whose chest scans show lung infections and sending them to designated hospitals, even though 20 to 30 percent of all pneumonia cases, only 20 to 30 percent of all pneumonia cases can ever be linked to a particular pathogen. So they're sending them this huge number. It says the policy shift was motivated in part by a recent increase in hospital capacity. 
including two newly prefabbed hospitals. So they're changing their diagnostic criteria because they have more hospital capacity. Now, I understand they're sending more people over there, but the numbers that are coming across, there was a nine times spike. It like decadoubled or whatever, you know, like nine times spike in the number. I mean, it's freaking people out. There are plenty of articles written about this huge spike in the numbers, but from like uh, apples to apples comparisons elsewhere in China, the number is going down. Yeah. So they're making it sound like it's really, really going up. Uh, they're, there well, they got to really stress other... test the system in those hospitals if they're going to bring in, they're going to fill up those beds because they built those hospitals. Well, it feels right. like this I mean, is part of the stress test. That's what it sounds like. And there were a couple of other really noteworthy, I think, quotes from this article. It said, so, so one of the guys being quoted here who after they put all this scare stuff in about, uh, so it says epidemiologists, government officials, and investors, huh? might now need to recalibrate their projections for the trajectory of a virus that remains little understood now that about nine times the number of new cases were diagnosed today than a day earlier. So they're recalibrating the trajectory, even though that was a, sh- a change in method. So there is no tra- trajectory there. That's not a trajectory. It's a change in the measuring. So Dr. Michael Ryan of the World Health Organization, who featured in the live simulation, by the way, of Event 201, he was there front and center. He's saying, well, it doesn't really work that way because they changed the criteria. But this, tell me if you can help decipher this, because I really can't even figure out what he's saying. Dr. Ryan said the move would allow authorities, this move to like broader diagnostics, would allow authorities to do more public health investigations, such as by tracking down patients' contacts, which are needed to contain the outbreak. Say that again? So, so yeah. So I think what it's saying, and I will read it again, is that casting a broader net gives them more authority to investigate individuals. Okay. So it says, Dr. Ryan said the move would allow authorities to do more public health investigations, such as by tracking down patients' contacts, which are needed to contain the outbreak. Oh, this is more use of this draconian technology that they've been using. Oh, yeah, I bet. To track down people that they've communicated with and interacted with? Absolutely. So that's like we're going to be freer to use these drones that follow people around, to beat people's doors down, to detain people for no reason. If you scratch your nose, maybe you get detained. Yeah. Another line from a different doctor was, we're casting a wider net to pick up what the true incidence of the infection is. But that, but there's no, it is a much, much less accurate, totally, like the net, there's no, it boggles the mind because right. it's not, it is, it doesn't get you closer to the truth to use a, not even a test. It's like circumstantial. Just being cautious, you know. No sniffles in China because we're just it's, being cautious. You're going to be around. purely them. circumstantial evidence. But one thing that I was reminded of, so now also in the newspaper today, is that the White House is investigating the possibility that this is a bioweapon and that it was, uh, that there's really a conspiracy there that that's how they're calling it, like the White House is investigating a conspiracy. Now, this, too, was part of the Event 201 live simulation where they said rumors of conspiracy are making it harder to 
treat the disease and therefore spreaders of disinformation should be, we should consider subjecting them to arrest. I just remembered, I read an article and they also tie into like how anti-vaxxers are the poison in society that make things like this impossible to deal with because they're, you know, irrational or whatever. But the UK while back, not that long ago, a couple of weeks ago was toying with or proposing a law they had a law where if you deliberately spread false information about vaccines or were an anti-vaxxer who got it wrong or whatever, you could get in big trouble. And then they decided that even if you are in good faith trying to have a discussion, report information or whatever, if you are a de facto anti-vaxxer, even in absolute good faith, not meaning to spread false information, you should also be subject to punishment. So that means that if you don't want to be subject to punishment, you simply cannot discuss any questions you have about vaccines. And then I would say this, and vaccines are protected, that you cannot sue them for liability. You can't prove whether they're right or wrong in a court of law. I would say this, there is an old adage, what you can, watch out for what you cannot talk about. You know, what can you not talk about? And this is one of those things because then you cannot talk about it, even if you mean well. Yeah, that's going to be applied broadly, too, to other conspiracy theories, to other potentially dangerous theories that people have that put the public health in jeopardy, which can be anything, really. You can relate anything to public health. We see them do it with Trump every day. Every time Trump does something, they say he's jeopardizing uh, national security. So this is just another way to blanket, get rid of conspiracy theorists and alternative media. And then on the flip side, Dershowitz said, well, he was by lying and trying to get himself reelected. If he did that, which I'm not saying he did, he was doing it in the national interest. Yeah. So rules are rules, but right is right. That's right. And the military, we mentioned how they're setting up the FEMA camp type things, the quarantine camps around the country with one of them being in Georgia. Now there was a there was an executive order that was issued by the joint staff that directed the Northern Command and Geographic Combat Commanders to initiate their pandemic plans, which include ordering commanders to prepare for widespread outbreaks and confining service members with a history of travel to China. And included in these preparatory actions are procedures for response, isolation, quarantine, restriction of movement, and community-based interventions. So that's their plan in community-based interventions. By the Army. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> they say that that's not because they anticipate something bad to happen, but they're just being overly secure, overly prepared in case anything happens. But all of this does, like we said, regardless of whether it's true or not, is it stirs up fear and it causes people to go into their corners and it's an easy divide and conquer tactic. Yes, and even if it separates us from the authorities, that in itself gets us – There you go. Get our – gets our backs up. Very interesting. So the next big story, which you and I both agree, I mean, it's totally contrived. It might have some legs. It might have some value. It might matter, but only because it's made to matter is this. (laughs) Barr, Bill Barr, the attorney general, went on ABC to tell Trump that his tweets make it impossible for him to do his job. Yeah, I'd say that's how they're reporting it anyway. Oh, what was it? I didn't watch it. 
I've got a lot of other stuff about it, he but was I didn't actually watch the interview. Prodded. He prodded. He wasn't talking that. about that. He was given a bunch of questions until he answered it in a way where it came out to appear to be a conflict. So the oh, interview okay. was about other stuff, and then finally the guy was like, so Trump tweets out or whatever, and then Barr said something about a tweet, and he was like, so you're saying that the tweets make it impossible for you to do your job? It, it was a Oh, really? Was, but Barr did say Was he that, fed the line? He repeated it or what? He didn't repeat it verbatim, but right. he was— Did he say the word impossible, do you think? I think he did say the word impossible. Yeah. But if you watch the interview, it doesn't at all seem like an attack on right. Trump. It, it does well, seem like maybe, ah, come on, tweeting, it's annoying me. But it wasn't yeah. like a big dramatic fight like they're presenting it out to be. Well, there's a massive amount of ambiguity around this, and it it seems to serve that kind of purpose. But yeah. the backstory is Roger Stone was convicted of witness tampering and lying to Congress, I think. And he, they, the prosecutors, four prosecutors who have since all resigned, it was reported, all of them, Recommended seven to nine years. Now, in my, it defies credulity. I do not believe it that those four guys, that it is normal operating procedure for them to take the most public case out there and not run up the flagpole doing something that anything. That, that they were not going to run up the flagpole their recommendations to whoever was superior to them. Bill Barr later said, I was, I was appalled by that. I was going to revise it and push back down on that when t- Trump tweeted out, making me look like I was following his orders, but I was not. Yeah. Now, it's impossible for me to believe that those guys, that that is normal. It's all politics. It's not what you see is what you get. It's not these independent actors who do what they think is right. And then Amy Berman Jackson, who there are 15 judges who could have taken this case. She gets this one. She gets Manafort. She gets um, the, the who is the other guy, Gates. She gets them all. And she said, I don't even need the recommendations. It doesn't even matter. I might still give them nine years. So I don't know why why they're making such a big deal of whether Bill Barr is behind it or not. I don't care what they say. So all of that happened. And uh, so clearly looked like a setup to me. Then CNN writes a really, really, really long article about the possible motives Barr had for coming out against Trump like this. (laughs) So yeah, so the whole thing was this giant conspiracy theory that maybe the White House and Barr set this up and fed it to the media. I mean, it was nothing but speculation and conspiracy theorizing and all that. And I will just rattle off the few things that they said were possible ulterior motives of Barr. Uh, Damage control, saving his reputation. Uh, He was actually accusing the media of doing it, not Trump. He was like putting them all in the same basket and berating ABC and everybody else. Uh, He wants to slake the pressure he's receiving from Trump. Well, that would be the obvious answer. He wants to demonstrate independence. He wants to head off a mutiny after these four prosecutors quit. He wanted to signal to Trump, I got your back. You don't have to tweet at me. I'm going to do whatever it takes to protect you anyway. Then it goes on to say that it was such a shock because most people 
who get fired, like Sessions and Kelly, wait until afterwards to throw Trump under the bus. (laughs) Now, Kelly's getting a lot of press for throwing Trump under the bus, but Sessions never, ever does it. He doesn't do it. He says, I respect him. I don't care. He's the boss. So they are making it look like Sessions. I think Sessions is a problem for them because he'll probably get his Senate seat back. One thing about that list, that reminds me of the CIA field training guide manual that we went over a few months back in the propaganda report where they provide in order to prevent the public from learning the truth they provide like a list of six or seven ready-made explanations that they pump out and repeat over and over again so whenever that issue comes up people go oh this is why it happened that's why it happened this is why it happened and that's what it sounds like yeah i see that a lot actually i mean that's i look for that i read these articles i sometimes skip to the last paragraph to see what they're recommending yeah. because that's what it's all about. And then these motives feed into whatever they want. And what I think they want, because both Lindsey Graham and Nancy Pelosi, if you, if you're looking for agenda items and propaganda, there you go. That's the punchline. Graham, uh, Pelosi said it is deeply damaging the justice system. And Graham said, <laughs> this is a great opportunity to reform the department of justice and to restore the rule of law. And that really bothers me because the rule of law means the rule of law over uh, over rulers. So Eric Holder and Rod Blagojevich and Roger Stone should all be treated the exact same way for lying to Congress or for quid pro quo or or any of that stuff. And they are clearly not treated the same way. So it would be nice to restore the rule of law. You're not getting it, though. And they're calling. We talked about. Hashtag impeach him again trending yesterday. Yes. This is one of the reasons they're saying this is it. We have to impeach him again over this, over this Bill Barr. Oh, thing I saw them Roger saying Stone. they want to impeach Barr. The article I read said they were calling to impeach Barr. They want to impeach all could of impeach. them. Yeah, maybe. And the one thing that is absolutely coming out of this is that Trump tweeted, I didn't influence Barr. I wasn't trying to influence Barr. I never have. But as president, I have the authority to do so. So he is being criticized for, but reinforcing the idea that the president has a lot, a lot of power. Yeah, he does always do that. He does always give that. I didn't do this, but I, I, have, yeah, I totally so that, have the right to. So that the Democrats, when they when they take over the White House for 12 years after Trump's second term, in my opinion, they will like, what about ism it? Like, oh, well, your own guy, your fearless leader, your new Ronald Reagan said this is blah, blah. And then the GOP, because they're always like dogs with tails between their legs, will take a back seat and be like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Go watch that interview. It's five minutes. Oh, This portion of it is. I can do that. A perfect example of a story that's absolutely nothing. Yeah, yeah. That the media takes and just blows it up into some big dramatic episode that is an impeachable offense now. It's just so – because when I watched it, I was expecting something, like, interesting, and it, it wasn't even interesting to me. Yeah, right. It was mundane. So Pete Budovich, I found some interesting information out about him. This is a quick hit. His husband, Mayor Pete's husband, which he met on a dating app, Yeesh. is an improv comedian. <laughs> Oh, no Which way. I found hilarious that he's an improv. Of course he's an improv comedian. Of course he's an improv comedian. Why? I don't get that. I don't know what you mean. Improv. Is an Mayor, insider thing. I go to this guy's Twitter feed. Apparently he's a, an emerging social media star on Twitter because he's so quick-witted and funny. And reading through his feed and then 
thinking about Mayor Pete and reading some of Mayor Pete's tweets, I'm like, yeah, this guy's obviously an improv comedian. I know 40 people like this guy. And Mayor Pete probably was an improv. He probably took a little bit of improv, I would think. Although I'm he sure does, he knows how to act. Yeah. I mean, that's what created persons. He does a good job act. sticking to his script pretty well. And Pete's father was a Marxist professor who frequently lauded the Communist man- Manifesto. And he, he was a professor at Notre Dame, a big I Marxist. I feel like I looked into that guy a little bit. Um, hmm. So he also loves Bernie. We recall that from yesterday, his love letter to Bernie when he was right, in right. high school. Funny. I did do some digging on, on Mayor Pete one time and got a lot of deep state stuff, but I usually get stuff on the parents too. I'll have to revisit my notes on that. Yeah. So we talked about Homeland, the television show on Showtime, Homeland, a few weeks ago, about how their scripts and the storylines are basically created in full by the CIA. They go to spy camp. The writers go with a blank slate, and the CIA just fills them in on everything and how it – the show is famous for forecasting what's going to happen in politics and the news. Well, I decided to start watching season eight to see what news it might forecast for us. And I'm going to stay away from spoilers. I'm just going to give general overviews for anybody listening. But if you don't want to hear any general overviews, then <laughs> stop listening now. One minute, yeah. But also, forward, you have to stop watching forward. the news as well. So <laughs> the first episode of season eight of Homeland, a basic overview of it for the uh, relevant part is that U.S. peace talks with the Taliban fell apart over something stupid the vice, <laughs> the Trump-like vice president said. And then it was found out later that potentially the Americans' arch enemy in this season, Russia, might be cooperating with the Taliban without America knowing it. And today I see a headline in the news the U.S. Yeah. says it has reached a deal with the <laughs> Taliban that could be a first step towards ending the war in Afghanistan. So I look, if we're going to go with the predictive method, predictive program, look for that to blow up. Absolutely. Look, look for there yes. to be accusations that Russia and the Taliban are working together, coming soon yes. to a headline near you. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I wonder if it – if it, yeah, president says U.S.-Taliban near deal. But I wonder if they'll fold in the Syria-Turkey Line Syria and Turkey, it's really heating up over there. And the news is saying until Russia draws a line in the sand between Turkey and Syria, this is going to continue to flare up. So I wonder if they'll tie that in or if it's for reals. Well, tune into Homeland next week. You might find out. Yikes. So I saw an article that I think you probably saw something different. Uh, Joshua Adam Schulte is a CIA hacker whose job was to create uh, the uh, methods for the CIA to penetrate computer networks of foreign adversaries, of course, is how the Wall Street Journal reveals it. Uh, But what he actually did, he's on trial now, I think in New York, uh, I guess... He Let me give like an overview people... of, of that that Vault Seven oh, thing. Sure. So yeah, this is related say. to Vault Seven. We actually talked about right. it a couple of years ago. It happened in 2017. It was a WikiLeaks release. They dubbed it Vault Seven, and they leaked a trove of CIA documents that gave an overview of the CIA's hacking capabilities, like being able to hack anybody's smartphone, being able to compromise a driverless car. Basically, they can hack into anything. I remember the one that stuck out to me the most, and we talked about it. I believe we have an episode called Vault 7 from back then. But was their capability of being able to mimic the 
fingerprint or the the digital fingerprint or signature of any other country's cyber capabilities. So that would enable them to create yes. a false flag and make it look like someone else's fingerprint. Like Russia like interfered Russia in the 2016 election. Right. Yeah. So nobody really talked about that. So that is the case. That's the Vault 7 leak case that this is related to. And Joshua Schulte is the former CIA programmer who is accused of leaking the documents. Yeah. And, and if you look at what the Vault 7 stuff reveals, it's, uh, it, it talks about the ability to hack into U.S. products to create holes and leave them open. Even our fearless hero, Edward Snowden, in exile, as we speak, came out strongly against the CIA and what was found in these Vault 7 documents. And I find it interesting and bad that the Wall Street Journal presented it as being 100% focused on foreigners. Yeah. I mean, they it, so out, they call yeah. the guy, they call the, they say that this guy is being charged with espionage. They never once call him a whistleblower. I know. He's not a protected that, whistleblower at all, according right, to them. Right. And isn't that what the Espionage Act, that's the whole issue about using the Espionage Act, about the whistleblowing? And I'm sure if I went to New York Times or whatever, they're also not going. I mean, I don't I've never heard of this guy being described as a hero. Did you see what else he's being charged with after they got him and after they went and they looked through his phones and everything? And they said, oh, no, he's also being charged with along with violation of the Espionage Act and 10 other charges. He's being charged with possession of child pornography. Just like Sockfleben. Just like all anybody Remember? who gets busted. Yeah. Donald Sockfleben was the guy. He was a bomb tech, a bomb expert for the CIA or the FBI. The FBI. He worked on OKC. He worked on the underwear bomber. And he came out and outed the second underwear bomber as being an, a British MI6 agent. Now, OKC, a lot of people died, and we know that some FBI stings like World Trade Center 93 kill people and go live sometimes. Yeah. So he came out against that, and he was shortly thereafter arrested for just an un unconsumable volume of child porn on his laptop. This is an FBI, uh, you know, whatever. It's anyway, like so clockwork. He pled, he pled out. There's an episode, not an episode, the X-Files, the movie, I think the middle one. This happens to one of Mulder's informants. He gets busted, and they they better throw. It's like Dave Chappelle, where they throw crack on the black guys. Everyone, well, better throw some crack on them before they. It's like better throw some child porn on this guy before they arrest him. Absolutely, they have little bags of child porn. And they in their just pockets. toss it. Yeah, and what's funny to me is that the they. <laughs> His defense to the child porn charges. They airdrop it. Yeah. It's just to have a box of it ready <laughs> just to download. And the court said that – all right, so his defense, because he wanted to get it dismissed, was that they set him up and they put all of this stuff behind all these layers of encryption. Maybe he did have child porn. I don't know. Maybe they did set him up. I don't know. But the court's response to that was that – it's it's a it's kind of ridiculous and a highly unlikely scenario that somebody would set him up. And I'm going this this case is about a leak about hackers yes, who can right. hack into anything and, and he, do anything. And he worked at the government, so he yes. was a government actor. Ross Ulbricht too, the the DEA or whoever it was that actually framed him went to jail for framing him basically, and his jury was not allowed to hear that. 
Really? Yes. I mean, like, like whatever words I just use, I have to like double check. That's exact. I mean, to say that they framed him, I'm not sure they went to jail for framing him, but they went to jail for uh, criminal irregularities in their investigation against him. Yeah. And his jury was not. And now he's in jail for life for a commercial platform. I find it interesting that we're not hearing any of this in the mainstream media about this because the prosecutors are I calling— I didn't see that kitty porn thing. They're calling this the biggest leak in the CIA's history. He'll the plead. Be- viola- yeah, that's yeah, what you're right. He'll Donald Sockleben did. And a couple other interesting things about this case is he claimed— Schultz claimed that a Brady disclosure claim, which is basically saying that the government— the government owes him a Brady disclosure— they have evidence they're not releasing that would exonerate me or that would undermine their case, and they need to release it. And so the government came out and said that they would attempt to get all of the stuff that he needed that he was requesting. And then on February 12, 2019, the government informed the court that in consulting with the Metropolitan Correctional Center – I'll come back to that in a second – it was determined that the hard drives containing the defendant's discovery were misplaced. But another copy would be provided, and then it went on to say a couple of things that they will not be able to obtain because of the misplaced hard drive. The Metropolitan Correctional Center, does that name sound familiar to you? Where Epstein died? Yep. That's where Epstein was. That's where this guy was. That's the people who just happened to mess up. The cameras just happened to mess up on Epstein. Now they happen to lose the hard drive that has the evidence that this guy claims would undermine the prosecution's argument. Either that's a CIA-ran or CIA-friendly correctional center, or... You (laughs) You can't trust it, that's for sure. But you know what you can trust? You can trust love. Happy Valentine's Day, Binkley. Happy Valentine's Day (laughs) to you. My husband goes to the All-Star game, the NBA All-Star game, so he's never home on Valentine's Day. My Valentine's days are always lonely. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I want to follow up on uh, Robin Hood did not steal from the rich and give to the poor. The sheriff, if you will recall, it was the sheriff who stole from the people, and Robin Hood went and got their money back, which the sheriff was calling taxes, and gave it back to them. So he stole from the government and gave it back to the taxpayers. Ah. The illegitimate government. So you don't have to hate Robin Hood like so many... I don't hate Robin Hood. ...good libertarians are trained to do. I love the animated Robin Hood. There you go. But he pro- the animated one probably steals from the rich. No, it's just got to be the sheriff. The sheriff. He's the sheriff, The sheriff obviously. of Nottingham, right? Yeah, he's got the weapons. He takes the money. He's a bastard. Maybe. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. on thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. We will talk to you next week and tomorrow on WSB. What time? Two. Two to three. Two to three on WSB tomorrow.